podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Brutal Nation, a podcast series that's dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and true crime. I'm your host, Scott Alexander, and right across from me is Miss Tammy Underwood, who's presenting today. Say hi, Tam, and tell me what you got. Hi, everybody. Um, today I have for you, uh, of course, Medical Monday. It's Monday. Woo! Um, yeah. And Because this... everybody fucking loves Mondays, right? Hey, not that. I mean, I don't like Mondays in general as a rule, but I like our Medical Mondays. No, I do like Medical Mondays. Yeah. Just Mondays kind of... Yeah, exactly. And so the reason I kind of chose this one to delve into further because he there were so many contradictions with him that he kind of reminded me of Colin. Oh, you know, which is episode six. That um, it just I mean, in some of the stuff he said just negates what he you know, his quote unquote motivations for everything. Yeah, just like a typical criminal. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. You know, there's a saying that says, "The the was it the prisons are filled with innocent men." Innocent, you know, because every the more we dive into more and more serial killers, I hear more and more the things, especially angels of death. You know, I was doing it as a mercy, or I was doing it because of this. I was doing it because of that. Yeah, you know, when in reality you weren't. Yeah, you were doing it just because you're kind of a piece of shit. Right, exactly. And you want to kill people. Right. And Colin this is, being no exception No to that. exception to this. Because I mean, and Donald Harvey is this guy's name, and he was actually a self-proclaimed. It's not even a moniker he was given by the media or law enforcement. He's a self-proclaimed angel of mercy, and you will find out in later, later on that nothing he did had anything to do with mercy. Yeah, there's a shocker. Yeah. You know, so that it just floors me. You know what just came to my mind? No. Is, well, of course you don't. Uh, you remember Kevorkian? Oh, yeah. Now, he, he was an angel of mercy. He was truly an angel of mercy. Mm-hmm. That man got the raw end of the stick. He, w- he was helping out people yeah. that they're terminally ill. Which, yes. And they chose to die. And I believe in quality of life and assisted suicide on every level because I have seen people suffering. I, I watched the whole thing. This was years ago. Uh, let's see, it was HBO or something like that. Uh, me and my ex-wife were out of town. And it was just, it was on TV. And it was about uh, stages of death. Mm-hmm. And one guy, he was he was dying of, I can't remember what it was. He was on oxygen. And he explained, man, I'm in pain all the time. So he got his family together. He arranged it with his doctor. He was in a uh, assisted suicide state. Mm-hmm. They gave him the meds. He got to die at home. It was peaceful. Right. You know, he That's did why I love family. Oregon. Oregon's very big into assisted suicide. I kind of like this guy because he made it kind of a game for everybody. Like, he still had a good sense of humor. Like, even at the end, he's like, all right, who wants to mix this up for me? He was right, just, right, right. And a good sense of humor and everything like yeah. that. And he passed peacefully. And his whole thing was, look, I'm suffering every day. Right. It's only going to progressively get worse. Exactly. And it needs to be known, too, that even in those instances, that everything is very regulated. Very much so, yes. I mean, it's not like they just give you a bunch of stuff and say, okay, go home and mix up a cocktail. Right. So It you is know, very regulated, like hospice and everything else. But the but at the time, law, the law, the courts, and society was so against Kevorkian. When this guy here, seriously, was just... I would want Kevorkian as my doctor if I was at that end stage of life. So at least then right. I had somebody on my side who I can go, hey, exactly. look. Me too. I'm in pain all the time. Right. And I'm dying. Yeah. This is it for me, and there's there's no hope for me to recover. 
Exactly. And there's actually a very good biopic on HBO called Jack with Al Pacino in it. Oh. That kind of centers around his Kevorkian's life. And it's almost true to, you know, true to with not a lot of the Hollywood privilege that they implement in a lot of their movies. But yeah, it's it's actually a really good movie. I recommend it. I watched it. I might have to watch that. But yeah, that's. Yeah. I'll, you know, but my bottom line is seriously, for for an, if it's a true angel of mercy and the doctor wants to help somebody out like a working did, right? I, I I would agree with that because, right? People go, well, suicide's a sin. You know what? Take your sin, cram it up your ass well, sideways. Because let me tell you something: it's why keep somebody alive for right. day after day after suffering. day of suffering. Right. I don't agree with suicide on the level to fix your problems. Oh, yeah, me neither. But I agree in letting people have quality of life because I look at it this way. What do we do when we have an animal that we care about and that we love who has no quality of life anymore? Yeah, we, we put them down. We take them in and we put them down because that is all, you know, because they don't understand the suffering. A human is the same way. You Except know, that we understand the suffering. We, and we understand know that it can the end. suffering. We know that it can end, but we know that the way we're going and what we have, it won't end that way. Right. It's going to just progressively get worse. Exactly. That's so, what I'm, you know. So anyway, to, go yeah. on with Mr. Harvey. So anyway, so I have a quote with him um, and it's by an unknown author. And it's it actually kind of it'll make a whole lot of sense later. But it's beware of the fake smile, the fake kind heart which disguises good in evil. Like you sleep with an angel and wake up with the devil. Oh my God, that is my dating life. This guy, this author knows me. That must be what it is. You know what? I've not met any of your exes. Or you don't want to. Current ones. And I don't really want to if this is how they are. <laughs> yeah, no. Most of them, I mean, there's been very, very, very few exceptions. <laughs> very few exceptions to that rule. Yeah. <laughs> Like Maybe, the, what does that say about you, Scott? It means I date from the from the bowels of hell. I was going to say from the bottom of the cesspool there, and uh, and, and mostly from lunatic asylums. Oh well, I, there you go. Oh, she only stabbed ten people. Her husband killed five kids. Perfect. What's your name, Donna? Donna, come home with me. Maybe no, you you're should perfect. stop putting out Lonely Hearts ads in the insane <laughs> asylum brochures, there, Scott. <laughs> That's at the old folks' homes. Yeah. So, um, actually. Um, with this guy, he was Donald Harvey. He was born on April fifteenth of nineteen fifty-two, so he's actually a little younger than my mom because mom was born in forty-eight. So he it, he'd be sixty-nine right now. <laughs> Stop it. talking, Scott. Um, and he's born in Butler County, Ohio. Um, and it wasn't long after he was born that his family chose to <coughs> you know move and they went to Boonville, Kentucky. <laughs> That is a hill. It's got to be a town like smaller than my block. Well, it doesn't say. It just says it's a small town that's located on the eastern slopes of the Appalachian Mountains. There you go. It's all banjo music and yeah. bring it from there on out. The Appalachian Trail and all that where a lot of the moonshiners hang out. She ain't with just that my twangy sister. accent. She ain't just my sister. She's my wife. <laughs> we have five kids. Get it with my moonshine. With my moonshine still. <laughs> yeah. And Goldie Harvey, who is, it's his mother, states... Would state later that her son was raised in a loving family environment and claims he had always been such a good boy. Of course, because no parent wants to say, hey, my kid's a little shithead. Right. And like I said, I keep referring to this one guy that I'm going to feature hopefully soon. Um, 
But he was an exception to that rule. His mother got up on the stand and said some nasty ass shit about him. That, see, I respect that mom. Yeah. I'm serious because I, I see so many like. Even but my when friends, we cover his case, you'll know why. But still, yeah. Even my friends, man, with their kids, they'll be like, um, uh, I call every kid Billy. So uh, Billy's a good kid. I don't understand why he's doing this. No, no, he isn't. Your kid's a little fucking turd. That's what the fuck your he kid's is. Your a little fucking hellion and needs a damn spank. God dang right. You need a <laughs> shot calling a cattle prop for that little prick. <laughs> So kudos to your future dude's mom for getting up yeah. there saying, hey, man, my kid's just a piece of shit. He's yeah, fucking, pretty much. Yeah, she totally like lit into him on the stand. And yeah. And so um, the principal of his the elementary school he attended, which was Sturgeon Elementary School, her name was Martha Turner. And she actually said pretty much the same thing. She recalled him always being clean and well-dressed. And he seemed like a sociable child that was well-liked by other students. And she would like go into go on to say that he always seemed to have a smile and she never saw any indication of what some would consider abnormal. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then people talked to his classmates. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. And they actually described him as somewhat of a loner, and, but most definitely he was a teacher's pet. And they don't recall him participating in any school activities or socializing with any of the other students. As it would seem, he preferred to read books or daydream instead if he wasn't hanging around the adults. So he's out kissing ass. That's what he's doing. He's playing politician is what he's doing. Well, see, and, you know, we kind of talked a little bit about this before because I had said that I don't understand why the principal would say he was sociable and well-liked if it was obvious the other students found him as a loner because it's my understanding that teachers notice these things. They do, but they don't. You're, even in a small school, it's easy to kind of blend into the crowd. You're a kid. You're kissing a lot of ass. Right. So, of course, you think, oh, my God, little Donnie, he's such a little sweetheart. He's always helping us out, and he passes out papers. What a sweet kid. And yeah. his classmates are all, dude, Stays this- back and bangs the erasers, because that's back when we had them. Right. And <laughs> these other kids looking, no, he's a little fucking douchebag. He, you know, he yeah. won't hang out with us. He's just kind of right. keeps himself, so he, fuck him. Yeah, and he did admit later on that he preferred to hang around adults than other kids his age. So that kind of makes a little more sense yeah, to me. me too. I don't like kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no shit, yo. <laughs> so after graduating from elementary school, he went on to Boonville <laughs> High School. So I'm, I'm assuming that his elementary school was at least through eighth grade. You know, because it does say that it was in ninth grade that... The next okay. part happens. So, um, even though he would earn A's and B's in most of his classes with very little effort on his part, which you and I relate to, I can relate on to every that. level. Yeah, um, he became bored with his routine, the routine routine of a school day, which we I relate to. Totally relate yeah. because if and I, I found this especially with myself and 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 with Jake as well, my son, is that when a school cannot challenge us. We really find oh, little yeah. use for it. Tot- well, and that's true because I would, I've, I, I've told you this story about when I was in sixth grade, um, when they started going over stuff we'd already done oh, and it yeah. was redundant for me, I would purposely act out to get sent to the principal's office because I was bored as fuck. Yeah, no, totally relate. And I didn't want to sit through it all again. I will not sit through this. <laughs> <laughs> you yes. start protesting and holding up yeah, signs and exactly. shit. Exactly. Uh, what do I got to do? So it was for that reason that he actually chose to drop out of school and obtain his GED. Okay. Kudos. Okay. Yeah. At least so he knew that he had to do something. Right. Yeah. 
So with nothing to occupy his day, and he had actually no real goals for his future, he went back to Cincinnati, Ohio, and got a job working in the local factory. Now, sometime in 1970, work at the factory would wane, and he was eventually laid off, which... I mean, you and I were barely born around this time. Actually, not even born in 1970. But this is around the time when they had the gas crisis and factories were shutting down. And, right, you know, like the steel mills and the car factories and shit like that. Right, which continued through the 80s. Yes. Uh, and then it picked back up again a little bit and then happened again in the 2000s. Right, right, yeah. right. So, um, a few days after he was laid off, he, he received a call from his mother And she asked him if he would go back to Kentucky to visit his sick grandfather, who happened to be in the hospital at the time. Um, He agreed to do so, and within a few days, he left Ohio and headed for London, Kentucky, to visit his grandpa, who was staying at Marymount Hospital. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, but it's this trip that would be the beginning of his long venture into murder and madness. Damn, what did grandpa like say? Hey, hey. Donnie, come here. Yeah, like so, protege him? No. You have to start killing. I'm a mass I'm a mass murderer. Or you know, I'm a serial killer. You need the, to carry the on. Fairy from Dexter. Remember oh my him God, the retirement yes. home? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's what I just pictured when you did all that. <laughs> so he would he actually started to spend the majority of his time at Marymount Hospital, which I'm assuming was a Catholic hospital because he was well known and liked by the nuns working there. And it was while he was having a conversation with one of these nuns, uh, she asked him if he wanted a job there as an orderly. And he accepted the offer and began work as an orderly the following day. You know what kind of meat priests eat on Sunday? Is this an appropriate joke, Scott? None. (laughs) (laughs) No, but none. (laughs) You're so bad. Anywho, he... um, Without any training as a nurse or a doctor, or even a nurse's aide for that matter, his job duties required him to be alone with the patients and included tasks such as changing bedpans, which I can see an orderly yeah, doing. Yeah, that's what an orderly, orderly does. They change shit beds. Um, but I don't understand the next two. Inserting catheters and passing out medication. The fuck? Yeah. Jesus Christ. So, for those of you that don't know how a catheter is put into, at least as guys. If no, you're it's the, pretty much the same for women, too. Okay, well, yeah. if you own a penis, listen up. They take this tube, and they put it in your pee hole, and they run it all the way down into your bladder. Yeah, painful. And they do the same for women, apparently. Well, yeah, because we actually have a urethra, and then we have, for lack of a better phrase, a vaginal canal, where yeah. we give birth. Right. And the vaginal canal is quite a bit bigger than your urethra. Just saying. And it is very painful. Jesus. Very, very painful. I can't imagine. Okay, so that shit hurts when somebody has trained. Like, if they're the super man of catheters, right? right? Like, you have a nurse that's been doing it. Like, your mom. You know, your mom was a nurse for like 30 years. Uh, Yeah, my Uh, mom was a nurse for 40-some years. 40-some years. Yeah. So, she's got to be like the catheter ninja. She's probably done it a bajillion times. Yeah, she did it a lot. Yeah. Still. That's going to hurt like a motherfucker. Yeah, and I will I will give this train of uh, reference for any female out there especially, that if you have to go in and get a catheter, ask for an uh, uh, adolescent catheter 
because it's smaller and it doesn't hurt nearly as much, but it hurts. But not it all much. hurts in my head. Okay. No, I'm just saying. So ask for an adolescent catheter or a pediatric I can't, catheter. I can't fucking imagine throwing. So hey, Dawn, grab this right here. No, it's a catheter kit. I want you to go put a catheter in Bill over here. Yeah. You know because he needs one. What the fuck? Yeah. No. I couldn't even I imagine. nuns were cruel before. Right, because I even put on, you said verbatim what I was going to say, one of the things I was going to say next. I'd hate to have a catheter inserted by anybody who had no training because it is painful enough when they do. Jesus Christ. I'm, yeah. I'm so rooted out right now. Right, right. But I'm also confused, and I'm, like I said, I mean, I'm also looking at this with 2020 hindsight, but I talked about it in another episode where... In the 80s, my mo- when I go visit my mom at work, if she was passing out meds, she would dispense them up. Sometimes I'd be able to help crush them, but they allow- it was allowed for me to take that medication and give it to the patient. Right, but under some sort of supervision, oh, right? Very much so. Even people who, like the AIDS and stuff, who don't have the, like, not the med, you know, like the med techs or whatever, but like the uh, certified nurses' aides that have no training... Could do it, but they had to be strictly supervised. Right. Well, you know, you're talking about, this is during the 70s and 80s, right? Right. Correct. So I remember being about 14, 15 years old. My mom, before she opened up her own company, <laughs> um, used to work in body shops. She was, uh, she's always been a, an appraiser right. and, a, and a secretary. And um, so at one, or about a few of her body shops, they, they were shorthanded and you know, I wasn't licensed to drive, but I essentially became the lot attendant. So after a detailer got done detailing on a car, right. I'd pull it out of the bay and I'd go park it. Right. You know, or if they need a car move from point A to point B somewhere on the lot, right? I, I would do that. Right. You know? But they wouldn't allow you to drive it around the block. Right. But keep it in mind, during our time, during our teenage years, we didn't have like school shootings. That's just true. It seemed to be a more... I don't know. Trusting. Which is, yeah, a little more trust. I guess that's what you want to say because I do bring that up in another episode uh, that I'll feature a little bit later. But yeah, it seemed to be a different environment. Matter of there fact, was a just... lot more leniency, and you could uh, allow your kids to do certain things and other people do certain things without the fear that something bad was going to happen. Right. And matter of fact, something that just now hit my mind was I remember doing a book report in high school on the progression of firearms. Okay. And I we had rifles at home. Mm-hmm. So I actually brought two of my rifles to school. And the, the, the thing was I had to bring it to bring them to the office first. I had to right. sit in the office for the day. Right. Um, I had to pull the bolt out because they were both bolt action. Right. Um, and, uh, and leave them in the office. And then I brought them to my class, did my progression of firearms, uh, you know, uh, history report, yeah. report, and then returned them back. Okay. And then, you know, brought them home. Makes was, sense. Wasn't a big deal. Yeah. Now, if you bring a BB gun to school, <laughs> SWAT uh, is coming yeah. out. Yeah. You You're don't, getting shot. You don't, you can even bring like a cap gun, you know, like those little pop guns. Right. Yeah. No, there's nothing. And, I, and I, I'll tell you why. It's because back then, we were afraid of our parents. And we were afraid of people who knew our parents. Oh, shit, yeah, man. My neighbors would knock the crap out of me if I did some of the shit. Yeah, and if you lived in a small town, that was everybody. Right, so... Everybody. And I was was just... I was giving that a lot of thought to you passing out meds as a kid, and I said, wait a minute, this was a different age. It was. It was very much so a different age. A way different time, a way different sociological uh, environment. Right. When... You could, as a parent, let your kid go outside and play in the neighborhood, no matter where it was, because A, you trusted all your neighbors, 
And B, you weren't in fear something would happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. You know, it's that was just the age we lived in. Right. So that's that's why I was sitting yeah. there. So I was balancing that. And I think that plays well into this yeah. that we're talking about right here. Cause exactly. I can kind of understand it being the 80s and them saying, hey, we're shorthanded. Can you go give these patients their meds? Here's the cart. Yeah. You know, uh, and everything's labeled out. Go do your thing. Right. Exactly. The catheter thing, though, I'm just fucking that one, floored at. That one floors me as well. God. Yes. Dude, I think my urethra is bleeding just hearing you read that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I kind of puckered up a little bit and I don't have a penis. Jesus Christ. <laughs> So, apparently, he performed these tasks very well the first couple of weeks. Um, But something in him changed. And to this day, the psychologists who have observed him have not been able to explain what the catalyst would be that led to his setting about to murder the patients he was tasked to take care of. Oh. Yeah, they don't understand. no real catalyst to it? There doesn't seem to be. Because it's even with him talking about it or whatever... Um, unless he's just not being as forthcoming as he should be, he there's no obvious like okay this was the turning point. That's bizarre. Okay, See, these are the ones that confuse me because we've done a couple of these where. So most of the time, when you get a history of someone's childhood, especially in school, right, you can go, oh yeah, I see what's happening here. You know, this is an abusive background, sexual abuse, emotional abuse. Physical abuse, or he was really bullied in school and had right, a low self esteem. He self-esteem. had an infatuation with like torturing animals on some something. level. Something. Yes. And this is one of those rare ones. Right. That there's no catalyst. Right. Well, there is an explanation for his first murder. But uh, an explanation isn't a catalyst. Exactly. Though. That's what I was going to say. But it doesn't explain the progression of why he continued this. Action. So, once again, I think this is a nature. This is nature. Not we, we discuss a lot on the show, nature over nurture. Right. And I am, And we'll talk about that a little more later because I do bring I'm it up. I'm of the firm belief that there's there's two kinds of, of, of killer out there. Right. There's some that are nurtured into us. So you have an abuse. You were abused as a child. There's like some trauma going on. Right. And, and that's more nurture because that's the environment. Right. Because you're, you're, you're kind of being Correct. bred into that. Right. Uh, or trained to do that. And then there's some that you look at their childhood and go, wow. Kids were great, like Price. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, parents were great. You know, neighborhood was great. Upper middle class, things going good. And then all of a sudden, something clicks. And something snapped. And boom. Yeah. You're killing one after another, after another, after another. And that's and sometimes brutally so. Right, and that's that's our nature. That's that that's yeah. the nature it's like you of were that. Born person. to do it. You were going to do it at some point in your life, anyways. Right. It's just a matter of when. Exactly. That's what this sounds like to me. It sounds like this guy was just. He is a born killer. Yeah, sounds like it to me too. But we'll talk about it a little bit more later because there's some worse stuff in here that's you're gonna go. What the fuck? Sweet. Yeah. So, anyways, now we're going to talk about his first murder. Um, his first murder happened just months after he began working at this hospital. And apparently during the evening shift, he went into a private room to check on a patient who had just suffered from a stroke. Excuse me, sorry. And while he was in the room, the patient allegedly rubbed feces in his face. Ew. And which, according to his own confession, made him very angry, which it would make me angry, too. I I might want to kill him myself. Just just a, like, brief story. I was raised on a farm, and one time my sister decided she was going to screw around with me, and she took some cow shit and, like, on her finger and, like, put it up near my face and got a little too close and rubbed it on my face. First of all, I was disgusted, but then my grandpa kind of retaliated for me. But still, it was, like, it was gross. 
It's just something. Fishy should be nowhere near that area. If my siblings ever, and I'm the oldest out of one brother, a half sister, and then two stepbrothers, if they would have ever had done anything remotely even close to that, I would have laid them out. Oh, yeah. Like, well, I was I'm five years about, younger than my sister, so. I don't care if they're older or younger than me. I, yeah. Seriously, that, that would flip my bitch switch, and I would, I would lay them out. Yeah. I can see. I mean, I can see wanting to do that. Yeah. No. Of course, I'm not I'm, much better. I've done cruel things to my brother. I was going to say, my sister and I have done some cruel things to each other. But so anyways, um, he would proceed. He, at that point, smothered this patient. And I believe he said it was with a pillow. Um, af- and after the murder, he actually took the co- time to clean up the patient. He even himself took a shower before he notified the nurses that the patient had died. I take a shower, too. Dude just rub shit right. in my well, face. Well, and he totally got rid of any evidence that there was an altercation. Oh. So, because I believe that if there were evidence of the mm. altercation, people would be like, okay, so how did this patient really die? Uh, Dawn, you know what? Kudos to you, buddy. Because at least you had the, yeah. the, the forethought to, yeah. to clean everything up and yeah. yourself. So, yeah. Exactly. Well, kudos. And so nobody even questioned anything, obviously. Um, it was three short weeks later that he committed another murder and... This time, he actually disconnected the oxygen tank at an elderly woman's bedside. So oh, people shit. thought she was getting the oxygen because she was still hooked up to the tank, but the tank was disconnected, so she was getting nothing. And she basically suffocated. Yeah, she suffocated. Yeah. So, and as, so as time went on and nobody suspected foul play in these first two murders, <laughs> he became bolder. <laughs> Which is obvious, and the very and he would vary the methods he used to kill his victims. The first year, he chose to use plastic bags, morphine, and other drugs as methods to murder those he would be he would he should have been taken care of. However, there's one case, and I will talk about it here in about two seconds, where he chose to be exceptionally brutal in his method. Well, he's just changing it up. I mean, he's got some variety. Right. So All it right. doesn't look too obvious. You know what? So far, Don, I like you as a serial killer. So far, but this next one may, will make you hate him just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. I just like it that he's mixing it up. He's not like our typical serial killer. Yeah, it's not like he was signs and every single one of them yeah. was related back to her. No shit. Being huh? there, right? <laughs> um, or even Hogel. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So apparently on this one occasion, the patient he was caring for had an argument with him because he thought Harvey was trying to kill him. Probably rightfully so, right? Probably pretty damn correct. Yeah. So Harvey claims it was during this argument that the patient knocked him out with a bedpan. And we have to remember, in the 70s and 80s, those were the metal bedpans. Yeah, those weren't nothing to fuck with, man. They weren't these plastic jobbies they have yeah, now. You, you could kill a rhinoceros with one of those things. Yeah, you can, you can really do some damage with them. <laughs> so after recovering from the assault, Harvey snuck back into the patient's room later that night and actually stuck a coat hanger through this man's catheter. When and so Jesus an inf- fuck. Yeah, so an infection set in as a result oh. of the puncture and this patient ended up dying just a few days later. I'm su- I'm sure he probably got sepsis. My stomach is churning just thinking of God, a fucking coat hanger? Yeah. So I I mean Jesus and I interject Christ. a little commentary here that says what level of depravity would someone have to possess to insert a wire coat hanger through a catheter? To me, this screams sadism. 
and not the angel of mercy he would claim was the motivations for his killings. I, I got to agree with you because... You almost think of Joan Crawford. Shit. No more wire hanger. God. Yeah. That's just... Oh, that's I know, it's painful just to think about so it. So fucking rudes me out right there. I know. Are you about ready to... Are you like throwing up a little in your mouth like I am? Like seriously, I'm trying not to throw up. I'm not even joking. Yeah, I think no, I'm I understand. I'm trying not to throw up. That's... Yeah. Because I just like felt the pain Ugh. this poor guy felt. Um, so he actually ended up getting drunk on March 31st of 1971. Um, and it was while he was drunk, he got arrested on suspicion of a, bur- of a burglary that happened at his apartment building. Um, as the police were questioning him about the burglary, he started to incoherently brag about the murders he had committed at the hospital. Oh, don't, buddy. Yeah. So in his drunken state, he's like, yeah, well, if you think mur- burglaries, this is what I picture, burglaries are bad. I killed all these people, too. All right, Don, <laughs> I liked you. I and mean, you may have gotten A's and, B in high, A's and B's in high school, but I'm giving you an official F because you failed to keep your big fucking mouth Shut. Yeah. Rule one is being a serial killer. You know what that is? You don't fucking tell the cops. Rule one of being any type of criminal. Yeah. Don't yeah. fucking open your mouth. You don't fucking tell people. You don't sit there and go, hey, by yeah. the way, I'm the one who robbed this place. I'm the one who killed all these people. Ah, Don, I had such, I had high hopes for you, buddy. I had yeah. high, high hopes. Yeah, exactly. Um. Anyways, so the officers actually did look into his claims, but they were unable to substantiate them, so they couldn't charge him with anything. Um, He went on trial for the burglary a few weeks later and pled guilty to a lesser charge of petty theft. And as a result, he received just a small fine for his actions, and he just hurried up and paid it. Just promptly paid it. Well, kudos, man. Yeah, Exactly. So that's when he decided he needed a change, and he enlisted in the Air Force. Fly on, my free bird. Yeah. Fly on. Yeah, my brother was in the Air Force. So um, he ended up serving, actually only served less than one year in the Air Force before he was given a general discharge in March of 72. Oh. Yeah. His official records just listen un- unspecified grounds for the discharge, but the rumors around that time were that his superiors had heard about his confessions to the police in Kentucky, and they wanted to avoid any issues they might have with him in the future. Right, they're out. Get out of here, Psycho Sally. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So they're covering their ass. Uh, justifiably so. Yeah, exactly. Because um, nothing like people wanting to violate the Geneva contract, right? <laughs> <laughs> no shit. Yeah. So as a result, oh no, where, where was I? Um. Oh, it was after his discharge that he started to suffer su- from some depression. And I believe, actually, I know where the depression is coming from, but I'll explain that later. Um, in July of 1972, he decided to commit himself to the VA Medical Center in Lexington because he couldn't control his inner demons alone anymore. So he was seeking help. Sweet. Which, kudos to him, because back then, depression and mental health were frowned upon. They were considered right. like, I don't know, like things we don't talk about. Well, you know, there there was plenty of mental hospitals back then. And if you had anything, if you were depressed or you were right. just even feeling blue, man, you went to the nut hut. That's what they, that's what you did. They, they'd say, okay, we're, we got, we have to commit you. You know, you're feeling right. a little bit violent. Because obviously you can't be in society if you're 
you know. Right. You know, uh, yeah. there was a place close to where we lived when we, uh, when we were in California called Norwalk Metro. Okay. And it is a large mental asylum, and I believe it's, it is still in business to this day. Oh, wow. And patients would escape. And there was two sides of the ward. Um, there was the side of the ward for just people who were just kind of off. You know what I mean? Like this is right, general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there was a severely mentally right. disturbed. We're talking people. They will cut your eyeballs out and fuck your eye socket. Oh, yeah. And not even to, blink. Just, yeah. Just to do it. Yeah. Well, they don't need a reason. We used to have, what, was it Damish? The hospital in Salem? Yep, that was damaged. Yeah, that is closed down now. But in Iowa, um, my aunt actually worked for the mental institution in Cherokee, which, I mean, I was in Storm Lake and they were big rivals, so we had this huge chant, we say, on the way to sporting events. But at one point, they were having the Rag Bribe, which is something annual great bike ride across Iowa. Anyways, um, and it was going through Cherokee and somebody tried to jump in our van and we didn't know if it was actually a patient trying to get away if it was somebody <laughs> on rag bride. So my aunt goes, um, you can't be in here. <laughs> when, when my dad used to work for a company and everybody's heard of it, it's called Halliburton. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I know what it is. Yeah, he, he was a roughneck uh, mm-hmm. until he opened up a trucking company and, uh, Halliburton was just right down the road from Damish. Oh, okay, yeah. I mean, on the back side of Damage, yeah. down the road, maybe, maybe a half a mile. And you would hear stories all the time of people breaking out and then winding up over there at the Halliburton Yard. Oh, yeah, I believe it. In their, in, in their hospital best. <laughs> right, right. In their little open in the back gowns. No. Yeah, and, and there, there was a reward for returning them. Oh, yeah. Like, they, you know, all you had to do was call up Norwalk Metro. Hey, man, one of your nuts is over here. Can you come collect them? Okay, and here's $100. We're going to take them back to the nut hut. Yeah, no doubt, yo. And a lot of people who actually worked in that in that facility have equated it to what they saw on To Kill a Mockingbird. Not To Kill a Mockingbird. One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they yeah. said it was very similar to that. Right. And, and so. keep in mind, the ones that were allowed to, like, go out in the yard and do whatever they right. want to do, these aren't They the were the lesser insane. offenders. Yeah. yeah. We're, we're not talking, like, you know, people who are criminal insane these no. are just people who are they're the ones with depression or like bipolar disorder correct what we call yeah. bipolar now yeah um you know and back then it was manic depression right um and things like that they, they're not the kind that are going to cut your throat and and right, you know, right, stab right, you right. while yelling mommy or anything <laughs> yeah exactly bathing in your blood right yeah. i did way too many fucking research projects on this shit yeah no i i agree with you because i've, I've, I've yeah. read some interesting medical files yeah, exactly <laughs> So he would actually remain at this facility till August 25th. So right around a month or so, give or take a few days. Um, But a a few weeks later, after he was released, he um, admitted himself again. And while he was there, he had a failed suicide attempt. As a result of this attempt, he was placed in restraints and uh, ordered to undergo 21 electroshock therapy treatments to be carried out over the course of the next few weeks. Now, I had read somewhere that it was a three-week period, so that's like at least one a day. See, I hate hearing about the old methods. Me too. Me too. uh, Of trying to, quote-unquote, help patients because they were so ineffective. You have electroshock, 
you have sensory deprivation. You have um, lobotomy, frontal lobe lobotomies. Frontal lobe lobotomies, which, you know, first started out, for those of you that don't know, a frontal lobe lobotomy uh, progressed into where they would take, it's called an ice pick lobotomy because they would take something that looked like an ice pick, go through your, uh, your the eye the socket, eye socket yeah. through the uh, soft tissue there, crack in, and then score the front part of your brain. It used to be when it first started out, um, and they it was would, discovered, yeah. drill holes. Yeah. They would drill holes in your fucking head. Mm-hmm. To get to your frontal lobe. And actually lobe. take out parts of it, not just like... Right. Yeah. They were removed portions of your frontal lobe. Yeah. And that, the sensory deprivation, like I said... Um, well, that's what they the, use uh, to freaking get terrorists to talk. Ice baths and Yeah, they like use that. it in freaking um, war, you know, to, to interrogate right. criminals, war it's criminals. It's so ineffective yeah. to help. So, I mean, I, I believe in better, a better life through pharmacology. Yes. You know, I suffer from depression. I take medication for it. And, and we see therapists. And, and we see therapists. And it works out great. You know what they're not doing to me? Give me a fucking frontal lobe lobotomy or electric shock. Exactly. And it has been proven that electroshock therapy did way more harm than it ever did good. Because you're damaging parts of your brain. Right. Because your your brain runs off of uh, electric pulse. Exactly. There's, exactly. Uh, you know, that's that's how your brain runs. So you're, you're introducing these high levels of electricity yeah. into a system that already runs off of a electric pulse yeah so you're actually like jump starting those synopsis those firings and it's like going haywire now yeah yeah it's like crossing you just look at it like an electrical cord strip off the the rubber part and just tap the wires together or putting a fucking fork in a light socket so fucking ineffective yeah yeah no anyway go ahead i'm done bitching about that I, i know well i was i couldn't believe it either um, he ended up getting released from there again on October 17th of 1972. And his mother would actually later blame the hospitals for some of his actions, saying that they released him even when he'd showed no signs of improvement from when he was admitted. And probably rightfully so. I was going to say, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say it's the they're at fault for everything he did, but that probably at some point they need to be held accountable too. No, I, I totally agree because at the time... Um, Okay, so even today they do a risk assessment. Yes, this okay? is true. So, at, but at the time, you got to make room. Yeah, and that's how they looked at it. Hey, look, he's been here for like let's say a month. We need the bed. We don't think that he's a real quote unquote threat. He might not be cured. We may not have really helped out any. But your time's here. It's gone. Get out of here so we can get the next person in. Right. And it's it's fucked up. It is very messed up because people were. Like, slip through the cracks then. Oh, totally. Yeah. Totally, totally, you know. And this is, right now, at this moment, I don't know the rest of Harvey's story, but I'm actually feeling bad for him because he's A being, little bit. A little bit, yeah. yeah. I don't feel bad about him putting that damn coat hanger down that catheter. No. Dawn, if you're listening to this, that's some fucked up shit, man. That's well, and like I said, I think that there was a reason for his depression and some of this, why he was in the mental institution. And I'll get into that a little bit later. But if that's the case, it, uh, it was for that time frame on the mindset that he was in. Yeah. You know, okay. I'll give it that. So, um, he would actually spend the next few week months of his, you know, to try to get his life back in order. He ended up finding a part-time job as a nurse's aide working at Cardinal Hill hospital in Lexington, and by June of 73, he started a second job at Lexington's Good Sam Hospital. 
Oh, good. Yeah, he would work both of these jobs until August of 74, so a little over a year. And that's when he got a job as a telephone operator. But then he went from there to get a clerical job at St. Luke's Hospital in Fort Thomas, Kentucky. That's some big job changes. Okay, well, this is what kind of, they kind of explain that a little bit here. Because he later confessed that while he was working in these locations, he was able to control his urge to kill. However, it's also speculated that his access to the patients wasn't as unsupervised at these facilities well, as, as a it was at Marymount. And that's also why he jumped from job to job, you know, because he just wasn't content because his needs weren't getting fulfilled. Right. Oh, exactly. So, yeah, because, yeah. I mean, think about it, man. At Even then, as a, right. as a secretary or a clerk or worker, you really have... You don't have a whole lot of interaction. You're going to have some with patients. True. But not a whole hell of a lot. Right. Not like a nurse's aide or an orderly or a doctor. And even as a nurse's aide that he had with those two jobs, the fact that when he was part-time probably aided in the fact that he didn't have a lot of alone time with people because he wasn't there as long. Right. Exactly. Time has everything. There's a big difference between if you're working a 40-hour week and you're around patients all the time and working a 20-hour week and maybe you're around patients for And you're just there to fill in real quick and yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So by September of 1975, Harvey moved back to Cincinnati. And within weeks, he got a job at the Cincinnati VA Medical Hospital working on the night shift. I was hoping you'd say he went to work for a radio station. <laughs> no. I was going to say WKRP in Cincinnati. We are if so you old. do not get that joke, you are way too young to be listening to this. <laughs> You're way too young to be walking. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. No, nah, we're just too old, man. Yeah, Our, maybe we shouldn't be walking, right? We should, just with walkers or wheelchairs and, and nurses. <laughs> right. and, but no catheters, for God's yeah. sakes, no catheters. No catheters. So working here, his duties varied depending on where he was needed at the time. He often found himself working as a nursing assistant, housekeeping aide, cardiac catheter tech, which is not the same. That's where they actually insert the line into your feet. Right. You know what I mean? To open up your feet. Yeah. And an autopsy assistant. Hey, you know what? An autopsy assistant right up where he should be. Because guess what you can't do? Kill somebody because they're already dead. Can't kill the motherfucker. Right. That's already right. done, been did. Yeah. Working it, the night shift in so many different <clears throat> capacities, he actually had very little supervision with unlimited access to almost every area of the hospital. Yeah, it makes sense. It's nighttime. Everybody's yeah. sleeping. You don't need as big of a staff. Yeah. So over a period of the next 10 years, he would go on to murder a minimum of 15 patients while working at this hospital. He even went and kept a detailed diary of his crimes and wrote down notes on each victim that gave vivid details on how he murdered them, such as pressing a plastic bag and wet towel over nose and mouth, sprinkled rat poison in dessert, added arsenic and cyanide to orange juice, invected cyanide into IV tube, injected cyanide into buttocks. Whoa, whoa, whoa. These were his notes. He put cyanide up someone's ass? No, into their butt. Oh, into, into the, okay. Yeah, into the soft <laughs> tissue of their butt. 
Um, it was also during this extensive note-taking that he began to study medical journals to find ways to hide his crimes. Hey, I'm on that, man, because at least he's not like some of our serial killers that are just fucking stupid. He's right. actually making, you know, he's, he's trying to be good at what he does. Yeah. And he's actually taking the steps to do it. Now, like some of the other idiots that we've featured that you sit there and go, dude, I'm surprised you didn't c- get caught before you yeah. killed anybody. Searching his, if how bleach kill, if bleach should kill people on your home computer. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. You know, the only way she could have done it even better is if she went to the doctors of the place that she did work at. This is on, uh. Uh, signs, Kimberly on, signs. On Kimberly signs and said, "Hey, Doc, just hypothetically asking, if I put bleach inside somebody's IV, would that kill them? That's the only way she could have done it better." Yeah, precisely. This this is precisely it. Yes. But homie here, he's doing his research on yeah. his own. He's keeping a journal. He's you know he's perfecting. He, he's it. almost like Robert Hansen, the butcher baker who kept. A map with the X's marking the spots where oh, he yeah. buried the bodies. We put one here and one here and one right. here. I'm Nothing sure like leaving a detailed breadcrumbs, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So over the years that he worked there, he was actually able to steal a whole 30 pounds of cyanide from the hospital that he would actually store at his house for safekeeping. It was while he was at home that he would mix a small vial of arsenic or cyanide that he ended up taking to work with him. And while nobody was around, he would put the mixture in the victim's food or gastric tubes. Holy shit. Yeah. So, at this point, also, he was no longer restricted by boundaries. And you will find out what I mean here. Um. And this part is why I believe he was depressed, because we have to remember it was the 70, late 70s, early 80s, right? In early of 1980, Harvey moved in with a gay lover by the name of Ka- Carl Howeller. Um, and like I said, I believe that's why he was suffering from depression, because that's when people were told that being gay was wrong. And if you were gay, there was something wrong with you, and you need to get it fixed, you know? Right. That's when they had plenty of things, especially when it comes... And I bitch about the religious community a lot. Right. The pray the gay away. Yeah. We're going to yeah. pray the gay away. Right. What you need is Jesus. Spend a week up right. here and read the Bible. And he Bullshit. He lived in the Bible Belt also. Yeah. And I was going to say, so, Kentucky part of the fucking Bible Belt. You got right. all those goddamn Bible-thumping Christians up there. And if, you know, if you're a Christian, that's fine. I don't care. I've met some Christians that were fantastic they people. They are fantastically amazing. And I've met some that are just fucking self-aggrandizing. Well, I, I was going to say, I haven't met them, but let's look at Westboro Baptist Church. Oh, don't even get me started on those pricks. Yeah. Don't even fucking they get take me started. Turner, they take the Baptist Creo of Turner Burn to a whole new level. That place should be burnt to the damn ground. Yeah. And everybody in it. Now watch Westboro Baptist Church is going to be picketing outside my door now. I was going to say, they're going to come here. Yep, they're going to be like, oh my God, look at him. He's an asshole. He was yeah. a Southern Baptist. He's going straight to hell. That was going to go to hell. Yeah, no. Yeah, they can kiss my ass. Yeah, well, so that's why I believe he was suffering depression from depression because I believe he thought his feelings were wrong. No, totally. Yeah. And that, that was very common. And it's even common to this day, actually, because I've, I've got a lot of my friends that are gay. Right. And... um. A lot of them are still pre-closeted because, you know, their parents. Because they have the super religious parent, or, right. you know, super, like, conservative parents. And and their, their parents, don't go conservative because. Well, 
I said super conservative. Okay. I, just, I, I did clarify that statement. I, I, I I'm not going to say conservative in general. Right. I'm saying soup like the extreme white wing wing conservative. Okay. Uh, yeah, the extremist. I'll yeah. give it that one. Yeah. But yeah, you know, and uh, because they're they were taught all their life, and these are people that are our age, but they were taught all over our life, all, all their life, if they were gay then you're wrong. Or if you're bisexual, then you're wrong. Yeah, that something is wrong with you and you need to fix it. Right. And I'll give you my personal take on it and then we'll go on. Love is love. Okay? Precisely. It doesn't matter if you're gay, you're straight, you're bi. It doesn't matter. And that's between you and the person you're with and not everybody else around. Right. You know, and not everybody that's listening to this is going to agree. And that's fine. You have a right not to yeah, agree. You do. I just, I believe as long as you're not hurting anybody. Right. Then do your thing, man. Exactly. It's just, it doesn't affect my... Now, if I come home and my buddy Brandon... Brandon, I know you'll be listening to this. No, I'm not saying that you're gay, buddy. I'm not because... He is. Him, no, him and I have a running joke about one of my former drummers. Oh, I believe Who it. was a cross-dresser. Yeah. And I always used to tell him, hey... Oh, yeah. You were telling me about that. Tom's eyeing you out, buddy. He No, he's... God damn it. But let's say I come, I come here... We won't even use Brandon. Let's say I come here and one of my buddies is blowing a dude on my couch. Well, now that affects me. And I'll be like, guys, it's yeah. not appropriate. Get the a room. Out, get a room. Get the fuck out of here. You yeah. know, but I don't want to see like Brandon boning a chick on my couch. Exactly. It doesn't matter if they're gay or straight. Yeah, you don't want to see matter. that in your house. That's the only time I fucking like out me. in the open. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, I mean, if you want to watch that, you pop in a movie. <laughs> I wanted to watch that. I would do my usual and watch gay granny porn. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> so, okay. So it wasn't long before. Uh, Harv- Donald act- Harvey actually started poisoning his gay lover-, lover because he thought the man was cheating on him. So he started to slip him small doses of arsenic in an attempt to make him too ill to leave the apartment. Holy yeah. shit. It's nothing like controlling your man, right? But here's the thing, man. If your dude or chick or whoever is being poisoned, they're not leaving the apartment, they're sick all the time. It kind of negates the whole cheating thing. And let me tell you why. Because it's not like you two are going to be... It's not like he's going to be making a call on the bone phone, if you know what I mean. Right. He's too sick. He's like, mm, too sick to make that call, honey. You know? So... It, exactly. It's kind of... It's very much counterproductive, man. Well, and not just that is you're not nurturing a healthy environment for a relationship because there's no trust there anymore at all. Exactly. You don't trust him. You think he's cheating on you. He's not going to trust you because he's thinking you're going to kill him. And so it's doomed to fail anyways. Yeah, no, exactly. So, yeah. So it was also all this time, his confidence was at an all time high because once following an argument with one of his female neighbors, he laced her drink with a hepatitis serum, and she nearly died before she was diagnosed with the infection and treated. So it was live hepatitis, not just a serum to try to treat hepatitis. Correct. This was an actual hepatitis yes. virus. Virus, yes. Jesus yes. Christ. And another neighbor by the name of Helen Metzger wasn't as lucky. She died within a few days of Harvey putting arsenic in one of her pies. Arsenic will do that. That's rat poison. You think, pretty- I know. Let's ask Nanny Doss. Yes. <laughs> Don't pick on Nanny. I still think she wants to make me good cookies. No, that, you think of Dorothy Appointe. Oh, Nanny that's right. Nanny was the giggling granny who killed four of her five ex-husbands. That's right. Never mind. My, yeah. I get my grannies mixed up because of my proclivity for porn. Up. Yeah. In... 
April of 1993, Harvey had an argument with Howler's parents, his boyfriend's parents, and afterwards he began putting arsenic in their food. On May 1st of 1983, Henry, the father, suffered a stroke and was admitted to Providence Hospital. Okay, hold on. Stop right there. Dawn, I was impressed with you. Change that shit up a little bit. You're using a lot of fucking arsenic. Yeah, you're starting you. to be like Nanny Doss here. Okay, kind of Nanny Dawson it up. And uh, that's just an FYI, buddy. That's just an yeah. FYI. You need to chill the fuck out, mix it up a little bit. The hepatitis serum, though. That was almost ingenious, wasn't it? I'm going to say this, bud. That was fucking genius, buddy. I'm, I'm pretty Between fucking impressed with you. Between you and me and the fence post and whoever might be listening. That's right. That's, I'm pretty impressed because none, none of our other killers no. have, has ever in, you know, gone for like a virus. Because that, like, that, that is like chemical warfare, like terrorism. As viral on warfare. A le- yeah, viral warfare. Thank you. On a level of almost terroristic right there. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. actually kind of impressed. At yeah. least it's unique. It is. It is very unique. I'll admit that. And you know what? I'm not ashamed to admit sometimes I'm impressed by the ingenious of some of these people. And I want to thank Dawn for not killing kids. Uh, as of yet, I don't think you've mentioned any kids yet. I haven't yet. I'm hoping that you don't. But so far, he hasn't killed any kids. So far, yeah. I like you. Okay. So anyways, um, while, while um, Henry was at the Providence Hospital, Harvey actually went to go visit him. Just to place arsenic in his pudding, and he died later that night after Harvey visited him. When you said that, what came to my mind was uh, Pink Floyd. How can you have your pudding if you don't eat your meat? I know, right? Huge Pink Floyd fan. Can't help it. You can't. You can't. I mean, and I kind of thought about that, too, so I'm not going to lie. He continued to poison Margaret, Carl's mother, on and off for the next year, but never succeeded in killing her. Damn, Margaret's a tough old bat. Yeah. So by January of 1984, almost a year later, Carl ended their relationship and asked Harvey to move out. At that point, Harvey spent the next two years trying to kill him with poison. Although he didn't succeed, Carl did end up in the hospital once as a result of unknowingly ingesting this poison. Damn, so he's pretty tough, too. He takes after his mama. Yeah, and and you got to give Harvey the credit here. He's <clears throat> persistent as a motherfucker. Very persistent. Yeah, he didn't quit easily. But I'll tell you what, boyfriend and boyfriend's mama, damn, you guys are some tough yeah, stock, Yeah, dude, you man. got what they call garbage gut or whatever. You got some fortitude to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. I'd say that about my, my basset hound. Um, on July 18th of 1985, while leaving work... At the VA hospital, some security guards noticed that he was acting kind of suspiciously, so they decided to search the gym bag he was carrying. Um, in it, the guards found a 38 caliber pistol, hypodermic needles, surgical scissors, gloves, a cocaine spoon, various medical textbooks, two books on the occult, and a biography on the serial killer Charles Sobraj, S-O-B-H-R-A-J. Write him down. I'll research him. But hold on. Time out. Time the fuck out. My drug of choice when I was using is cocaine. Why the fuck would you need a cocaine spoon? Well, okay. I suppose if you're just taking little little hitters no, or something. No, a cocaine spoon. I equated it to the thing that they melted it down to inject That's it. heroin. No, they did cocaine too. That's Isn't that how you inject 
heroin, I mean, cocaine? I, I've only injected cocaine once and the needle was prepped for me, so. Okay, well, that's what I equated my, it to. My preference was, was snorting the cocaine. Okay, well, anyways, I just did a little research and this guy was a French serial killer, fraudster, and thief <coughs> who preyed on tourists. <coughs> just cool. so you know. For right. future reference. Ooh la la. He yeah. is from France. So for this, he was charged, 50, he was fined $50 for carrying a firearm while on federal property and given the option of resigning his position or getting fired. Yeah, resign, buddy. Yeah, he chose to resign and Smart nothing move, yeah. was noticed on his work record. No, no, notated. Is it notated? Is that yeah. the word we're looking for? You know we what? some charades here? Speaking is hard because I actually wrote notice on... And you're action. dealing with me and I make a lot of fucking jokes. So. Well, and you have trouble speaking too, so shut up. <laughs> that's, that's brain damage due yeah. to drug use. He was no... no nothing was notated on his, rec, his work record about this incident. Nor was an invasion, investigation open to determine if he had committed any other crimes while at the hospital. Okay, because all in all, what he had in his bag really wasn't a whole lot of crime things no no i bet except for the gun well yeah i'm wondering if they just thought the needles and the spoon were for um him to shoot cocaine himself well yeah i can see that yeah yeah that's what i'm wondering and i don't think they did uas back then i don't think that they did either so pee in this cup (laughs) yeah exactly so it was a mere seven months later in February of 1986 when he got a job working as a part-time nurse's aide at Cincinnati's Drake Memorial Hospital. His new employers didn't know anything about the incident at the VA hospital because, remember, this is before Cullen. Right, right, right. Where all that changed where they could tell, you know, give, uh, started giving more, ad, you know, accurate references And his references only had good things to say about him. So he would soon move on to a full-time position and resume his old habits. Over a period of the next 13 months, he went on to murder 23 patients. That's averaging over two a month. So wait a minute. Almost two a month. Yes, 15 before, now 23 on top of that. Ooh, I I, I thought his body count would be low, but... Body count's looking pretty fucking good right now. Yeah, that's 38 people so far. For these murders, he would disconnect their life support machines, inject air into their IV lines, which is quite painful. And from it's what called I've an heard. air embolism. Yeah. And I just learned that researching another killer. Yeah. It's not like I knew that all along. No, I knew it all along because I'd heard about it. Um, he would also suffocate them or inject them with arsenic, cyanide, or petroleum-based cleansers. Okay. Once again... Give up the goddamn arsenic. They're going to catch you, dude. Like, I'm surprised now that you've used yeah. it like a, over, what, like two, three years now, that they yeah. haven't already caught you. Gee, many Christmas. Yeah. Wise up, Donald. Wise up. Right. And so this went on until April of 1987. Now, what happened in April 1987, you ask? Let's talk about that. I was going to say, I can't remember because the, <laughs> there's parts of my life that are just... You were... What? Pretty Thir- fucking hazy. No, 87, you were only 14 years old. Dude. No, and I dig, but all the 
drugs that I did. Like oh, even since the, yeah, yeah, even yeah, parts it. of the like the eighties yeah. and like and shit in the nineties. And it's just really hazy. <laughs> yeah. No, I've run into kids who know people who knew me back in elementary school, and they're like, "Hey," and I'm like, "Who the fuck are you?" That happens to me in the music industry all the time. Oh yeah. People go, "Hey, remember me? We worked together on this project here," and I'm like, "Then I'm honest, I'm, dude. I have no yeah. fucking clue." I don't who even you are. remember that project. Yeah, I don't even remember what project you're talking about. Yeah, I no. don't. It's <laughs> okay. So, anyways. A patient by the on this on in April of 1987, a patient by the name of John Powell, who had been in a coma for several months, had started to recover and then suddenly died. Oh, shitty. Okay. So an autopsy was ordered, and during his autop this autopsy, the assistant coroner noticed a familiar scent. The faint almonds. smell of almonds. Yep. Which is the telltale the sign of cyanide poisoning. Oh, cyanide. That's what it is. Yeah. Cyanide. There you go. You're so smart. You're learning. My brain was still stuck on the arsenic because he was using that so much. Yeah. No. Authorities launched an investigation and could find no evidence or motive with any of Powell's friends or family. So they began to focus on hospital employees with access to his room. The list was relatively short. And once they learned of Harvey's nickname at the hospital, which was, of course, Angel of Death. Oh, they focus all their attention on him. So apparently his co-workers were realizing that a lot of people on his shifts were dying. Huh. This is a very familiar thing that we're talking about here. Yeah. It seems to happen quite a lot that the it's not quite even a bit. it's not even the the admin, you know, uh, no, of it's the hospital. Not. It's, it's the, not the supervisors. Right, it's, it's your the fellow employees. Staff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or look at you going, hmm, it's kind of weird. And this is not just Harvey. That's it's every well, one of them. It, it happened with Hogel, and they started distancing themselves from him. Remember last week? Right, right, right. Hillary, and it, yeah. it happened with uh, with with signs, and it happened with Gilbert, Gilbert, and, Cohen, and Wood, and all of them. Yeah, you know, where they're sitting there going, "Huh, look." It, yeah, well, and Wood and Graham were featured on a Tuesday episode, but they were still nurses' aides. So right, yeah. and that's why I brought them into yeah. that too. You know, and you would think that that supervisors would at least. Oh, pick yeah. up on it and go, hey, wait a minute. Why why do you guys call him the angel of death? And somebody at some point went, you don't know? Well, it's just awful odd that yeah. every do time Harvey's... Research, people. <laughs> every time that Harvey's on, on, on shift, people die. Kind of a lot. Kind, kind of, of a, a lot. lot. But no, right. nobody fucking does shit. No. No. So in April of 1987, the authorities actually secured a search warrant for his apartment, where investigators found a plethora of evidence against him. Among the many items they found were jars of the cyanide and arsenic, more books on the occult, as well as poisons, and his detailed, the diary that detailed accounts of the murders. They quickly arrested him. And charge him with one count of aggravated murder against the John Powell guy. Okay? Okay. So, oh, anyways. At his arraignment, he entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity and held and was held over on a $200,000 bond. Then they, began, they continued their investigation and evidence piled higher and investigators began looking at more mysterious deaths at the hospital. 
Well, wait a minute. Why wasn't he charged with more? I'm and I'm just oh, that's because they only had him on that John Powell guy until they started more investigating further. Okay, I got because no, I'm, I'm that's why they, I stressed that because uh, I'm thinking they found his journal, much like well, uh, my did. butcher baker and that map with the X's yeah. on it. But they had to do more investigation okay. to see if you know it all checked out okay. or if he was just writing shit down. Uh, no, cool, cool. No, I'm yeah. I'm on track now. Yeah. So he realized at this point that his time was limited, so he set to get a plea bargain deal in order to avoid the death penalty. So he basically saying, I will confess to crimes if you don't kill me. <laughs> it's always that way, isn't it? Right. Well, and he didn't have the 20, ty- 20 suicide attempts that Colin supposedly had. He only okay. had two. Yeah, he only had two, so he really yeah, doesn't want to die. Probably not. Colin's just a fucking coward. That's what Solomon okay. is, too. But anyway, we'll... Oh, well, I'll get into it a little more I can more bitch here. about Colin all day and all All day night. long. Me, too. So on October 11th, I mean, August 11th of 1987, Harvey sat down with his investigators and com- confessed to committing a total of 33 murders in a 17-year time span. However... As the days went on, that number grew to a total of 70 victims in all. Jesus, you've been a busy, busy boy, Mr. Harvey. As you can expect, though, the detectives were skeptical about the numbers he was providing them because they were so up and down that it was this skepticism that prompted them to have Harvey assessed by by psychiatrists using psychiatric tests prior to accepting his claims. Okay. So, he underwent several tests by numerous experts, and it was determined that he was, in fact, quite sane and competent, but it was also evident he was a compulsive killer. Yeah. That it was just every opportunity he had, he offed somebody. Hey, man, some people like cookies, some people like killing. I guess you're right. It's fucked up, but think about it. I mean, mean, it sounds like a joke, but it's true, Mm -hmm. you know? Um and that's just, he's one of our killers that apparently that's just his, uh, it's his go-to. Right. He enjoys it. Right, exactly. So on August 18th of 1987, he would enter the courtroom and plead guilty to 24 counts of aggravated murder, four counts of attempted murder, and one count of felonious assault. Four short days later, with the addition of one more guilty plea, he was sentenced to four consecutive 20 years to life sentences and fined $270,000. Okay? Okay. Then, in September of 1987, he was indicted in Kentucky. There, he would confess to committing 12 murders while working at Marymount Hospital. In November, he pled guilty and was sentenced to a total of eight more life terms plus 20 years. Jesus. So... Per, you know, eight life terms plus 20 years per life term. Right. Okay. So he would also plead guilty to three more <laughs> Cincinnati murders and three attempted murders, resulting in three more life sentences plus three more seven to 25 year sentences. Now, two years later, after further investigation into the remaining deaths, determined that there wasn't quite enough evidence to pursue them, so they were closed. In 1991, Harvey gave an interview with a reporter from the Columbus Dispatch, and he gave this reporter a rare glimpse into his mindset. He said that after not getting caught for the first 
14 murders, he felt it was his right to keep killing, and he thought he was playing God. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So, now, this is what's happened since then. And it was July of... Uh, July 23rd of 2001, the Associated Press printed an article that listed the worst serial killers in the United States. Not the most prolific, but the worst ones. Harvey was rated number one on that list, followed by John Wayne Gacy, Patrick Kearney, which I've never heard of, Bruce Davis, which I haven't heard of, and Dean Coral, which I have and I want to feature him, to round out the top five. Wow. Yes. Harvey's first scheduled parole hearing was set for 2047 when he would be 95 years old. Good luck with that one, Jack. But he wouldn't make it that long. No. (laughs) Yeah. On March 30th of 2017, at the age of 64, he would die in prison. However, it was not from natural causes. Oh. Fellow inmates would beat Donald Harvey to death while he was in his cell. Yes. And yes. I'll tell you why I'm happy about that. You want to know what pisses me off the most, okay, with what we're going into, besides the child killers right. and torture? Number one. Oh, great. That's now a I got fighter a, jet. No kidding. I got fighter jets flying over. I guess we're yeah. at war now. Number one, I want you to think of John Aykroyd, for example. He's our Highway 20 killer. Oh, yeah. Died in prison, natural causes. Died in prison, natural causes, and took to his grave what he did to some of those girls. Yeah. Including his stepdaughter. Including his stepdaughter and not even revealing where her fucking body is. Correct. Okay. Look at a lot. Well, and a lot of killers are like this, even the one that I'm getting ready to feature uh, and that I'm writing up right now. You know, die in prison. Die in prison. Die in prison. Natural causes. They just die in... Right. You know, at least Donald Harvey got what was coming to him. Well, and look at Alcala, who was on death row and waiting to be executed. Then they put a moratorium on 2019. He just died of natural causes, too, and he was one sick bastard. Yeah, it's always the same bullshit. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you. I kind of agree on that level. Okay, so now I have some final thoughts on here. Okay, we've covered a few healthcare serial killer cases so far, and we're researching more. So here's where I am at on this one. In his confessions, he would claim his motivation was to be an angel of mercy of sorts and offer his patients an alternative to suffering. However, in some of his own accounts of the killings, he was anything but merciful. No shit. A fucking coat hanger down someone's catheter. Where the fuck is that mercy? Like, for real. For fucking real. Yeah. Well, and that's just it. And correct me if I'm wrong here. But the only one we have come across to date that has been used as part of his, that has used poison as part of his MO when it came to killing his patients, he's the only one as far as the healthcare workers, correct? That came to poison. Well, no, bleach for signs. No, no, I'm not even counting the bleach because bleach really isn't. A poison so much as a cleaning agent. Yeah. No, you're right. That's the, I mean, because he went for some hardcore shit. You yeah, know, he, he went was for using cyanide, cyanide and arsenic. arsenic. Yeah. So that's pretty hardcore, hardcore, hardcore yeah, shit right that there. That is like almost 1700s poisoning right there. Yeah. That's like, that is a uh, uh, Shakespeare type of shit. Yeah, that's going what on. they used back then because there was no way to detect it. Right. Yeah. Okay. Except for the smell so of almonds. Say, I was going to say, let's just, I wanted to look at it like that, that he is, you know, he's the only one. Um, don't, and then I also said, don't they usually use medication? But 
Also, if he was strictly an angel of mercy killer, how does he justify killing his boyfriend's father, his neighbor, attempting to kill his boyfriend, his boyfriend's mother, and another neighbor, all of which he administered poison to? That's not mercy killing. No, that that right there is just cold-blooded killing and selfishness. Yes, that is complete fucking. I think I'm God and I'm selfish. Right, and there also didn't seem to be that I could find, but I didn't dig up court records. Was where's the investigation on these deaths at the time? That's a good point. Where's the justice for these people? Yeah, I did. I could find nothing on that. All I could find was what he did at the hospitals. Now, like I said, I didn't delve into court records, so I don't know if some of these that he confessed to included them. But to me, it's like they lumped it in with all that. So that's what I was gathering was those were just the murders that happened at the hospital. Yeah, probably. So that's where I'm at. So, all in all, I feel like this guy was just one cold-hearted, sadistic killer that happened to be a nurse's aide and thus had access to a large victim pool. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay? I found myself wondering if he would have killed nearly as many people or even a fraction of the number if he actually had to hunt for his victims as opposed to having them handed to him on a platter. Mm, I think that he would have, and let me tell you why. Because... We've gone over some that have been angels of uh, of death that have actually had to hunt down, in a way, their victims. And my brain is going completely freaking blank. Don't do drugs. No, um, you're kind of right. Because with Graham and Wood, they right. searched out Alzheimer's patients. Right. Because so they tried right. killing somebody else and they fought back too much. Right. So that, that okay. was an active kind of search thing going right. on. It, but they also didn't work in a hospital where it was more... Yeah, that's true. I think that... I think that he would have still hunted them down because think about what he did to his neighbors. He kills his neighbors. He poisons them, right? Right. So I think that he would have put himself into more social situations. Oh, he might So have. that he could have used some poison or even worse is that damn hepatitis. Yeah, that uh, was That up. is just... I still got to admit, that's pretty impressive. I know, but it was still fucked up. It's a, no, it's very fucked it's up. It's almost as if, I mean, almost like, and I think he would have done it back then if it was more available, the AIDS virus. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Except that the AIDS virus won't live out of the host for more than, was it like 10 seconds or some shit like that? Yeah, it's not very long. That's why they had yeah. such a hard time coming up with a treatment. I had actually equated him to being somewhat of a coward that relied on the healthcare system to provide him with his victims. No. But, you know, like I said. Think about how hard it is for him to slip that stuff into his boyfriend's food. Right, I didn't take, and, I mean, and, like, and I think I was looking at it more at the number of victims. Yeah, he probably would have had victims out there, but I don't think it would have been nearly as many. Right, no, and I and, and, and I totally, totally agree. Um, I don't think it would have been as many, but I think he would have still continued to hunt. The bottom line is I think that, and this is just me, I think that Harvey truly does or did enjoy killing. Okay. And given the opportunity, I think that he would have had larger numbers mm-hmm. because he would have put himself into, maybe he would be, he'd start going to nightclubs. Oh, that's true, hanging out at gay bars. And, hanging out at gay bars. Yeah. And things like that, looking for more victims because okay. this is what he enjoyed. You know, uh, for example, I enjoy fine wines. Yes. I got quite the collection. You do, which tastes delicious, by the way. Thank you. Thank mm-hmm. you. Um, 
you know, so I, I seek out fine wines. I go mm-hmm. to different vineyards. I got one in particular that I love. A free plug for Cascade Cliffs uh, here in Oregon and Washington, by the way. Fantastic wines. But um, I got quite the collection, and I, I, I seek it out. You do? Okay, because that's my thing. I truly enjoy it. Mm-hmm. This asshole, and I do say asshole because Truly that, enjoyed killing. Truly fucking enjoyed Cause killing. Because he didn't just use... readily available methods that are common in a hospital or medical environment. He actually used things that are everyday household items like rat poison, cyanide, arsenic that's in freaking stuff like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. Pesticides and shit. Right, exactly. This guy went out on... He did what he truly enjoyed. That that was his fine wine. Yeah, and it's because that sick, seemed to be his M.O. more than, you know, than any other medication at the hospital seemed to be. Plus, think about how he changed it up. Right. It wasn't one specific thing like uh, like with uh, with Wood and, uh, uh, what the fuck is her last name? Graham and Wood. Graham and Wood. I keep forgetting Graham. Yeah, they suffocated. They, they were all about suffocating. You yes. suffocate him, right? That's yes. how you get rid of him. Um, he wasn't like that. He suffocated. And Colin used the digoxin. Yeah. Yeah. Colin was big on Dijox. Dij- I, I know you still can't. I, know. I try to say that word and my tongue goes up <laughs> my <laughs> nose <laughs> and then it wraps around my fucking head. Um, but Harvey didn't. Harvey was a changer-upper. He smothered some. He poisoned some. True. He gave dude an infection with the catheter. The, uh, oh, still, yeah. I'm just, uh, you can't even oh. say the words when he gave the guy yeah. an infection. Like, but, pretty much I believe the guy went into sepsis, which is, that you would know. That be it, yeah. Yeah. An infection of the bloodstream. Oh, I'm just still reeling yeah. over the, the coat hanger okay. down his catheter. But he, he was always changing it up. This is true. He was. So. Which is like, uncommon for a serial killer. Very. Because we talked rare. about this before, that it is very uncommon for a serial killer to change up his MO because it's a routine. They have to complete the cycle in order to yes. be fulfilled. Exactly. Yeah. This guy, it wasn't about fulfillment. No. It was just about, it, it was about what he liked to do. Right. It wasn't a routine. It wasn't a cycle he had to fulfill. It was just the fact that he had to kill somebody. Right. No different than, uh, well, except that it's brutal, um, than me changing up wines. Like sometimes I like a Sauvignon Blanc. Other times I like a Syrah. Sometimes I like a Mont Blanc. It's, you know, I, right. I change it up because I don't need it to complete a cycle. It's just what I enjoy. Correct. You know, right. and, and this dude's no different. This dude here is, uh, you know, uh, changing it up and uh, it's his passion. Yeah. It's his hobby. It, it seems that way. And kind it's, a, of like it's a sick model fucking hobby. airplanes and baseball yeah. cards. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Plus, you know, he's keeping uh, an accurate record of what he's done to his victims. Okay. You know, and exactly. Granted, That's true, too. There are killers that keep their souvenirs. Right, but I think that that diary was his souvenir, mm-hmm. you know? It was. It kept his details, and it, I think that helped him develop as a killer. Right, and I also believe that lends to the... He did that as, you know, because it lends to the fact that... Remember how he dropped out of school because he was bored, and you know what I mean? He had that different learning curve right. and stuff. I think it's... Him documenting everything because I write down everything before I because he's it learning because I have to see it and everything and write it out. Um, otherwise, my thought process doesn't work. So I believe he did that as a way to like, yeah, learn and like fulfill something in him too. You Correct. Know what I mean, 
Correct. Yeah, because yeah. he liked to learn. Yes. And unfortunately, what he liked to learn was, was the killing. art of killing. Right. And so by documenting stuff, he could be like, okay, well, that worked this time. This didn't work so much. So let me change this. And yeah. Right. You know. I believe you're right on that one. It's a sick fucking hobby. A very sick hobby. But that was his, that's his deal. Like I said, that, that is his fine wine. That's his wine. Yeah, that was his dealio. Yeah. And that's all I have yeah. to say about it. I'm just. Kind of sad that there's no catalyst because I love picking apart. I know, apart. me too. Me too. I There was nothing. I mean, like I said, psychologists couldn't find it. I couldn't find anything that was a catalyst unless, of course, we take into the fact that he was gay. And he couldn't, you know no. what I mean? You don't think that, no, you don't think that there was a no. way he was like trying to suppress that? No, no. I don't think this has okay. anything to do with him to do with being gay. Well, no, I'm not saying gay specifically, but suppressing his feelings of inadequacy. No, I think this is 100%. This was his hobby okay. and he took great enjoyment. No, out I was it. just throwing it out there as a, no, and as I, a theory. And I can see that, especially during the time, I can see if people were committing crimes or doing heinous things because... Um, you know, they kind of wanted to pray the gay away in a, in a way, right? You know, kind of like I got all these feelings, and what else can I do to fulfill that? Well, I can do this, right, or that. But or I don't to suppress it and be more manly, right? And I don't think that was it. I think that he was uh, really good with himself at being gay. He, I think, he knew who he was in that aspect. I think he did too. But I think he also knew who he was is at the fact of that he loved killing. Yeah. Then that was that's the bottom line yeah. of it, you know. No, I think I think you're actually right on this one. I just think he it was something he enjoyed doing, and at some point, it was going to happen no matter what. It was oh, totally. a total nature thing. Totally, totally. And yeah. I think he may have started getting the idea when he went to visit his sick grandpa because you think about it, you're seeing a family member suffer, right? And you're thinking, God, I wish I could stop the suffering for him. And that might have been his intention from the very beginning. Right. He just developed a God complex, like he said. Exactly. I I Except was God. for running a goddamn coat hanger down someone's catheter. I'm going to be stuck on that for a month. That is very Jeez. sadistic. There's a few things that I am absolutely stuck on, and now that's one of them. Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. That's well, a, as you notice, I did not mention any children. You didn't. So you know what? I'm going to give him kudos for that. Yes. Okay, because you didn't kill any kids. You didn't. You didn't rape anybody. You didn't molest right. them. You didn't. You didn't really torture anybody. Exactly. And not not that they would be so readily available at the VA hospital, but at the Drake Medical Center, I'm sure they had a pediatric ward. Oh, most definitely. So but I mean, I'm not going to say they kids. weren't available. So, yeah, they weren't his. And he didn't poison the the neighborhood kids. Correct. So for that, I got to give Harvey some thumbs up on. Right. I I admire that, and thank you for not killing kids. And it's still fucked up. What you did to do with the catheter, though. God yeah. And to the nuns who allowed him to, with no experience... To do the... But to put they, catheters in. The fuck is wrong with you goddamn go penguin with bitches? Doesn't go along with corporal punishment thing that they had in Catholic schools back then, too, where, you know... Just when you think a nun can't be any scarier, <laughs> you hear know, a story right? like this, you go, right. great, I got over my nun phobia, and now I'm yeah. terrified of And I didn't again. go to Catholic school, but damn. I didn't, but I watched a lot of horror flicks, and I've, yeah, I've yeah, read yeah, a lot about too. the nunneries and, and shit. I was going to say, and the nun that was recently released with, as part of the um, Conjuring 
Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, that one was freaky as fuck. Yeah, you know. So now, now I'm terrified of nuns again. Yeah, well, they're they're already freaking horribly terrifying. You're welcome. Thanks. I'm gonna have nightmares. Mm-hmm. Great. That's fantastic. Thank you. You're a dick. No, you will do something to me later that make me say the same thing Between about you. Between goddamn nuns and that catheter thing, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I call my therapist and get better meds. Just doing this podcast, I need fucking better no, meds. No, dude, I was listening to The Butcher Baker again, which is episode 25. Yeah, and that's And I was totally, fucked. I mean, to this, I mean, I was thinking about it. I am never going to go camping again, ever. Well, you know. Ever. People wonder why I often carry a firearm. <laughs> And yeah, I am a damn good shot. People wonder why my idea of camping is a motel room with room service. <laughs> I don't go camping anymore because we have this homeless problem out here and I see mm. them all camping. And then I started thinking about it. I'm going to buy 500 bucks worth of gear to go and live without my shit in the middle of the woods for like a week. I'm, I'm homeless for a week. I, <laughs> I don't need to be homeless. I got a place to live, damn I got it. a place to live, and I got a goddamn good income. I don't need to be homeless. Right, you know what I'm right. missing when I go camping? A sign. All I got to do is be holding up a sign <laughs> and say, you know, disabled musician. <laughs> Anything helps. God bless. We'll play a tune. <laughs> yeah. We'll sing you a song for a penny. <laughs> That's right. Jesus Christ, but man. anyway, so that's all I have on Donald Harvey. Well, at least we got some good laughs out of him. We kind of did a little bit, and I like it honestly when we can have some that we can laugh at a little yeah. bit. Yeah, well, no and the how fact that are. you know he's no longer here, he's gotten his comeuppance. You know, he did. I am so, to the prisoners that beat the shit out of him and killed him. Thank you. Yeah, like, kudos. You are you are truly heroes because yeah. he didn't just die of old age. Yeah, and, uh, you suck know. our tax dollars. Right. You, he, got, he got what he deserved. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, kind of like with Dahmer. <laughs> yeah. But that's another story. Um, <coughs> but yeah, so that's all I have. So, All right, so we're going to close this one out. This has been Brutal Nation. I've been your host, Scott Alexander. My co-host is the one, the only, the fabulous Tammy Underwood. Remember that this show is copyrighted 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC, all rights reserved. You can send us an email at BrutalNation.cast at gmail.com. Check out the website at www.twistedbluellc.com. You can also check out other podcasts, and we're getting ready to release some more. And do us all a favor. It helps out the show a lot if you uh, disable your pop-up blocker and click on, if you got to shop at, at Amazon like we all do right. anyway, click on the link to Amazon off of our page. It really does help out the show a lot, um, more than you could ever Right, and imagine. we have a very secure page. We have a very good, uh, like a protocol thing so yeah you know, we really don't have to worry we about. have excellent security right on uh well everything that we do yeah pretty uh, much everything yeah it's so it's, because we're really you know that's priority is making sure we don't get hacked so that they don't get hacked yeah exactly so, <laughs> there you go <laughs> all righty so we look forward to talking to you guys again and bye-bye bye